Luke chapter 14, verses uh, 15, verse 4 and 5 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one? Just one more, though. Just one more. Go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. What a great uh, visual picture of, of that. Luke 15, verse 8 says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. We're going to be looking at the mission of Jesus and what his mission was when he came to earth. We will take a break and we're going to get some uh, desserts or some beautiful desserts. Before we go any further, though, I would just like to give a big thank you to Linda, to Rose, and to Helen. Guys in the kitchen, if you'd come out a second. They're hiding. We'll get them later when they're out. Yes, Rose, we were just saying a massive thank you to you and your team, to Linda and Helen. Is it three of you tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> a big cheer, guys, when they come out. Big cheer. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming in and serving us tonight, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. Also, all the people that made the effort to bring food, I never brought any tonight, so apologies. I just ate it. But I do thank you so much. Um, it's great sitting and eating with people. I was just reading the other day about Jesus when he uh, had risen from the dead and he was wait waiting on the shore. And Peter was wait had gone back to fishing. And when Peter came to the shore, it said Jesus had breakfast made for them. And, uh, you know, eating together was such a part of Jesus' ministry. Um, and it changes the whole dynamic when we eat together. Um, and so it's great. It's great to, after a hard day at work for some of you, uh, just to come and to enjoy each other. Um, funny story to lighten the atmosphere a wee bit after the intense stuff. Um, I was down in Manchester with my dad, and uh, we got the train back, and we're waiting, on, uh, waiting at Waverley. And he was telling me a story um, about, he says, were you there with uh, Stuart Hanna uh, when his drunk pal got on the train? I was like, no. He's, and he was killing himself laughing. He was like, oh, this was so funny. We were waiting with Stuart and we, we got on the train and his, uh, this, this, uh, one of his architect friends was rather bluttered and he, uh, he got on the train and it was very loud and um, embarrassing and, you know, we were... Uh, he was, his language was rather choice and he was trying to whisper but it was, it was with alcohol it just, it just spread so he was enjoying embellishing as my dad sometimes does the story and uh, telling me about getting on the taxi he never paid and all the rest of it and as he's telling me this story this big guy is about six foot four rather big guy in many different directions um, uh, with lots of alcohol um, sort of staggered up and was like yeah Jimmy Jimmy, is that you? <laughs> he's like, oh, Willie, Willie, how's it going? He's like, Jimmy, what are you doing to yourself, pal? Are you still working? He's like, aye, I'm still working, Willie. Still working. What are you doing with yourself, Jimmy? I'm a bit of a life coach these days, Willie. Life coach? What's, what, what, what's that? A psychologist? Like, you're a psychologist, Jimmy? He's like, no, 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 a psychologist, Willie. 
Paul Daniels, like, you're a magician. What are you talking about, Jimmy? Anyway, he got on the train with us, and he was on the train the whole way. And I'm not, I'm not joking you, every third word was choice, like, and he never even made the attempt to, to, to whisper or to quiet it. And he was going on and on and on. And no matter, my dad kept trying to distract him by asking, asking him about a different boy. He worked in, he's from Oakley, he worked in the dockyard with my dad. My dad told me he's still, but every second person my dad mentioned the name, he's like, oh, he's a rat, he's a rat, he's the biggest rat in the tune, Jimmy, let me tell you about him. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, we were killing ourselves laughing after it. And so uh, it was just funny. The very thing he was talking about just um, tended to backfire. So anyway, we're going to talk um, a little bit. I'm going to do a wee bit of a study first, and then we're going to unpack and uh, just tell some stories, etc. tonight. But Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Actually, Tim, would you mind just putting those lights on? Maybe not. Maybe not the bottom two, but I'm struggling to see a wee bit myself. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Just check my time. It says, ah, that's great, lovely, thank you. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been uh, brought up. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm just going to put a timer on here so I know how long I'm actually speaking for. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. From that passage, we would, we would be good to ask, what was the purpose of the anointing? Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And from that passage, what was the purpose of Jesus' anointing? If we look at verse 18, it tells us that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And what's the purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor. That was the purpose of his anointing. And um, the New Testament uses two Greek words to describe what Christians call evangelism. I think we misunderstand evangelism. Evangelism is not a word that people terribly like. Um, there's one thing in common between Christians and non-Christians. They both don't like evangelism. Uh, and uh, that's generally speaking. But I think it's be largely because of a misunderstanding of what it actually is. Now, the first group of New Testament words is braced around the Greek noun euangelion. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have uh, good teachers who are, okay? And it's up there, and I can even, there we go, euangelion, okay? Um, which comes from two Greek words, eu, there we go, well or noble, and angelia, 
meaning message or tidings. So euangelion means the good news, the glad tidings, or as you see on your screen there, the noble message. And the common word gospel is simply the old English word, um, the way of, of, of um, saying good speak. Now you wonder why on earth am I going into this? Why bother? Well, hopefully, just stick with me, hang in there, because there is a purpose for doing this work tonight. Um, because immediately it links the gospel as inseparable with evangelism. The gospel and evangelism go hand in hand. They're inseparable, okay? Now, the word evangelist comes from the related Greek noun. Um, and you can see it there, euangelists, evangelist, we would say. But it literally means a messenger of good, okay? A messenger of good. Now, we all know what a verb is. Somebody shout out what a verb is. A verb is a doing word. Give me an example of a verb, somebody. A verb, a doing word. Come on, back to primary school. Run. Run. Any more? Anybody want to run right now? Um, any, any more examples? One more. Give me, give me a verb. Give me another doing word, somebody. Andrew, you got one? Anyone got a, another verb? Come on. Jump. Jump, okay. So we know that a verb is a, is a doing word. So what is the verb of the noun euangelion, okay? So this is the noun, the good news. How do you do that? How do you do good news, right? So that's the noun. What is the verb of the noun? And how do we translate it? And stick with me. Hopefully this will make sense. But what is the doing word of euangelion? What's the verb? What is the, how do you do good news? And the verbal form of this word in Greek is euangelizo, right? So there's the verb in Greek, which is the verb of the good news. And literally, it means to good news, okay? So the literal word is to good news. The noun is good news. The verb is literally to good news. Um, but the difficulty comes is that it's almost impossible to translate it nicely into modern English because the word to good news it doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound very right. It's not very neat and very comfortable. And so to assist in the translation, extra words have been inserted in the interpretation. Now, there is a purpose of why I'm going into all of this, okay? Um, and uh, hopefully, you, it will be made very clear. But instead of saying to gospel, the English language has forced interpreters to place a verb before the noun gospel. And different translators of the Bible over the years have chosen different verbs, and they inevitably used words which would reflect their theological outlook. But most select the word or insert the word to preach the gospel. So the word preach is inserted there to preach the gospel or to announce the good news or to bring glad tidings. But as I say, the literal translation of the Greek is to gospel. The literal translation is not to preach the gospel. The preach implies that the good newsing is all about speaking. But it's not. It's much more. So actually, inserting the word preach reduces what good newsing is. It reduces it to words and makes it all about words. 
It makes it all about what you say. And some people think if there's no words, there's no evangelism. And some people think evangelism is only about words, okay? So this is kind of why we're going into detail. So the Greek is to gospel, to good news, or to evangelize. Now, most evangelical Bible translators render euangelizo, which is on your screen there, as to preach the gospel. As I say, so most translators have inserted the word preach. To make good news a verb, they've inserted the word to preach good news, okay? Now, some believers then point to this that, as proof that preaching is essential in evangelism, or it's the, the be-all and end-all of evangelism, okay? Um, but we must recognize that this extra verb is not in the New Testament. And we must ensure that we do not think evangelism is all about proclamation. Neither is evangelism all about um, incarnation. And by incarnation, I mean doing good, showing up and doing good things in acts of kindness and compassion. It's not limited to just that either. And it's neither is it limited to just demonstration, miracles and healings and doing, uh, doing things. Evangelism is not as narrow as being limited to either of those things in themselves. It's not limited to words and speaking. It's not limited to um, kindness and compassion and good deeds and acts. And it's not limited purely to miracles and healing. Okay. Now, the Greek verb euangelizo, to evangelize, as I said, it means to good news or to bring the gospel. It actually appears in the New Testament 50 times, which is fairly substantial, meaning there's a good, a good deal of emphasis on it, okay? Now, in Luke 4, 18 to 19, which, which I read at the start, Luke 4, 18 to 19, is probably one of Jesus' most important statements, and therefore, some refer to it as his manifesto or his mission statement. He's giving the purpose of his anointing. And he chooses Isaiah 61. He, he scrolls. I don't know how long you'd have to scroll to get to 61. But <laughs> he scrolls all the way through to Isaiah 61. And he selects that to, uh, to introduce his mission on the earth. Luke 4.18 says, the spirit, this is what I read at the start. So the spirit of the Lord up there is upon me because he hath, this is the old King James version, okay? Um, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. Now, as you can see, these numbers mean the Greek Strong's reference. And that is one word, G2097 is one word in Greek. But the interpreters have put four words to preach the gospel. To try and interpret it into English in order for it to make sense, Four words were required, and the word preach is inserted. But as we see, the actual uh, means two good news. It's the verb of the euangelion. So the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to good news, the poor. So a literal translation would be to good news, the poor. Because the problem is with to preach the, the gospel, it means that Jesus' ministry was all about words, and all he did was preach, all he did was talk, all he did was teach, and that was it. But it was much more. Jesus' good newsing, the hurting, was much more than speaking to them. He didn't just speak. He did much more. 
and the New Testament is evidence of that. Um, so, we move on. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, which is Jesus quoting Isaiah 61, which was a prophecy that was written about Jesus hundreds of years before he actually ever came. And he said, see all those words that were written hundreds of years ago? They were pointing to me. They were about me. And I am the fulfillment of, of that prophecy. And in this passage in Luke chapter 4, Jesus summarizes the purpose of his anointing. And what he says is he provides, Jesus provides us on your screen there, five examples of what evangelizing the poor means in practice. And this is his definition of spirit-filled evangelism. We can say that according to Jesus, biblical evangelism includes. Now, this is all from Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, okay? Jesus, if you like, is explaining what good newsing is. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to good news, the poor, which are the hurting. And then he goes on to show what that looks like in practice. What, what does it include? What does it involve? And we see at least five things. Number one, healing the brokenhearted. That's from Isaiah 61. Secondly, liberating the captives, forgiveness of sins. So that's from Luke 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord upon me has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So five things. Restoring sight to the blind. Jesus did it literally, but also when someone has no purpose, they're blind. When they have no vision, they'll perish. Jesus comes back to restore individuals' purpose. Releasing the oppressed. So Jesus came to release the oppressed. That includes healing the sick, casting out demons, forgiving sins, and ethical teachings that promote social justice. You see, Jesus' good newsing was much more than words. And that's what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is it's not just about preaching to our neighbors. It's not just about bashing them over the head with a Bible. You know, our friends are hurting. They're oppressed. They're blind. They don't know where they're going. They don't have purpose. They don't have direction. And to good news, that individual is not just to speak words to them. It includes proclaiming God's message of freedom and favor. And this is pointing to the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, which is talking about every 50 years, all the debts would be canceled, and it's a big celebration. Okay. So, we're getting there, guys. You can't really see it in red there, but at the top left word, it says the tokoi, okay? Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, it says. And the Greek word for poor is tokoi, and it means a better translation, it's better understood as the hurting. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to good news, the poor, but it's actually better understood as the hurting, okay? So miracles, um, miracles, you see, are not just preparation for evangelism. When we pray for someone and God does something, that's not preparation for the good news. That is actually good news. You know, if you pray for someone and something happens, that's good news. 
That is evangelism. It's part of the package of evangelism. Miracles are not preparation for evangelism. Miracles are themselves evangelism. They're not necessarily the consequence, but they are very much part of the good news of Jesus. So it's for the poor. It's for the hurting. Why are they hurting? They're hurting because they're brokenhearted, they're captives, they're blind, they're oppressed. And that is why they're hurting. Romans, Romans 15 verses 18 to 19 on your screen. Paul makes the same point in this passage. Yet I dare not boast about anything Except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message. So was it just by his message? Did he bring them to God just by words, just by preaching? No, there's a word and there. By my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. And this way I have fully presented the good news. How do, you how do you fully present the good news to an individual? Just by words? See, it's, it's not just by words. It includes words, and I'm not underplaying the importance of words and explanation and alphas and, you know, trying to tell people and help them to understand that there is a God and Jesus died for a sin and the, the speaking. Of course, that is important, but we must never, ever think that that is the full understanding of good news because he says by my message and by the way that I worked okay he says I have fully presented the good news and our job is to be like Jesus as disciples of Jesus we have to walk in his steps and we have to fully present the gospel fully present the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem all the way so they show how Paul witnessed he witnessed in words and deeds and signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit. And he set an example that we should follow in his steps. You know, we're, we're called to do the same. He didn't say, I'm going back to the Father and um, you guys just, you just speak now. I'm taking all the power with me. No, he left us. And so these verses show that words and deeds, mighty signs and wonders by the Spirit is how Paul did it. And through every gospel, we see the same. Through every gospel, we see that Jesus announced good news. Number one, he announced good news. That included the preaching, the teaching, conversations. So Jesus announced good news. Secondly, he demonstrated good news. And that was through signs and wonders and prayer and miracles and getting people set free and hopelessness, trying to hope, etc., etc. So he, Jesus announced good news. He demonstrated good news and he lived good news. Okay, so that's sometimes called proclamation, demonstration, and incarnation. Proclamation, he announced good news. Demonstration, he demonstrated good news. Incarnation, he lived good news. He accepted, he received, he embraced, he forgave, he sat, he ate, he saw Zacchaeus up a tree, he called him down, he called the afflicted and the hurting people of his day, and he called them and he loved them. Now, this Luke 4 principle um, of good news is also seen in Acts 10, 36 to 38. And I'm going to stop the teaching in a minute because that's a lot to get your heads around. Although all I'm trying to say 
All of that is simply to say that evangelism and to good news is not just about preaching. It's a lot more. To bring good news to people in true biblical New Testament evangelism, good newsing people is to love them, to care for them, to have compassion, to bring God's power to them through prayer and the Holy Spirit and God's power at work in their life and to preach and to speak and to teach and to understand. So in this verse it says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there's the word anointing again. So we see back in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, right? So we're, we're, we're coming back to how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And what was the result? Results like in Luke 4, he brought good news to the poor in Luke 4. And here the result is similar, how God anointed him. And it says he went about doing good. So doing good to people, loving them, serving them, taking a meal when they're hurting, picking up children, being caring, compassionate, loving. That's all part of the good news. That is part of it. That is evangelism, good newsing people. He went about doing good and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So Jesus is the word. He's the Lord of all. He was sent to evangelize to good news. And Peter connects that this good newsing with the anointing. The anointing is connected. So when we talk about more Holy Spirit, it's not for our sake. <laughs> of course, it is to make us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out to become more like Jesus and give us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it's to give us power, and the anointing and the purpose is the same as that upon Jesus is to good news. So the, the teaching of New Testament on evangelism should convince us that evangelism does not entirely consist of preaching, but true biblical evangelism includes speaking or the verbal proclamation of the good news, but it must also include visual demonstration of the good news and signs, wonders, peace, and good deeds. To sum it up, we could say that evangelism is reaching the lost, not just preaching to the lost. Evangelism is reaching the lost and not just preaching to the lost. And every aspect of God's rule is announced in words, demonstrated in deeds, and manifested in compassion. Biblical evangelism includes, as I've been saying, proclamation, demonstration, and incarnation. Proclamation, so speaking, preaching, testifying, proclaiming, debating, announcing, answering questions, alpha courses, that's part of it. Demonstration, healing the sick and the brokenhearted. You know, when someone comes to us and tells us they're struggling, we want to go more than what the world does and says, oh, that's a shame. That's, that's a real shame. I'm thinking about you. We've got to go one better than that, folks. It's about, you know, uh, we don't say, oh, you need an appointment with a pastor or you need an appointment with the prayer rooms. You know, what we're trying to um, encourage each other is, let's pray. Let's pray for them. Let's offer prayer. Let's say, you know what? God's still alive today. He can help. How about a prayer for that situation right now and ask God to come? Demonstration. And thirdly, incarnation. Living God's life among the afflicted, hurting. Feeling God's compassion, which includes suffering hardship 
and being ready to lay down our lives. That's what Jesus did. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Okay. Now, I was down in Manchester. This is the senior pastor of the Word of Life Church in Uppsala, Sweden. Anyone heard of this guy? His name's Pastor, I've no idea how you say it. It's Joachim Lundqvist. Anybody heard of him? Anybody heard of Word of Life Church uh, in, in north of Sweden, okay? Now, he has 3,200 members in his church. He has an international network which includes 600 churches. His Word of Life's Bible school has graduated more than 10,000 students in Sweden. It's one of the most secularized nations in the world, and yet they've had 10,000 through it. There's over 50,000 students, and it's 15 Bible schools around the world, including Eastern Europe, Russia, Middle East, and Central Asia. So he spoke. I was down in Manchester. I was at this conference. He spoke, and um, there's a few things that he said when refugees started pouring into Sweden last year, um, he started to pray, God, there's panic, there's fear. What are we to do? And he felt God say, he saw a picture from this to this. He felt God say, welcome them. So they got a big, massive banner on their church. And it says, refugees welcome. And the church filled up with refugees. And they offered English lessons, they offered food and water and advice and counsel and all the rest of it. As a result of that, he showed a photograph, and I, I meant to put it up, but I forgot, um, of about 30 ex-Muslim refugees that are now in his Bible school. He has a Bible school now with 30 ex-Muslim refugees as a result of moving from this to this. Um, and this is, they, they made a t-shirt for him, and they call him Pastor, Pastor Abdullah Kim. <laughs> and uh, this is the tweet that he put out. Love this gift, a t-shirt with the name I'm referred to by some of the refugees. So he tells, he tells a story of one man in his Bible school. And I'm, I'm trying to recollect this from memory. I've asked for the video of this session so I could have showed you and get the accurate testimony of this, okay? But he tells a story of this one man. I think he was in Syria. And ISIS knock his door. And they say to him, tomorrow morning we're coming um, for your 12-year-old daughter to rape her unless you give us your wife. And we're coming back tomorrow morning. And he stayed up all night and started to pray. And then he said, Allah, I've been praying to you all my life and nothing good has happened in my life. He said, Christian God, if you're there, if you exist, help me. Show me what to do. And he got a dream or a vision as the story goes. And I'm trying to, my best to recollect from my memory, so it might not be 100% accurate. But pretty much it went something like this, where he had a vision of a man standing like this. Not like this, but like this. And the man said something like four things. Four things. And I think the vision, he had got on a boat, he had arrived, and a man was standing like this. And the man had said to him four things. Number one, welcome. Number two, you're safe now. Number three, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And number four, God loves you. So he took this, 
that he was to get on a boat, escape with his family, and he did. He traveled all the way, to, to, got onto a boat, paid, etc., etc., arrived. Now, this pastor in Sweden, when God says welcome, he decided to send teams to set up welcome points all the way from the refugee through the refugee route from Greece all the way to the north of Sweden. So he had a line on a map of about 10 strategically placed welcome stations where his church members were going to go down, hand out water, hand out blankets, and just love and welcome the refugees. This man arrived off the boat in Greece. He gets off with his child. He arrives at a word of life welcome station. And there's a man standing, and the man said to him four things. Welcome. You're okay. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. The four things that I just said. Blah, 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 blah. Four things. And God loves you. That man followed that refugee route all the way up to north of Sweden, and they ended up in this man's Bible school. Give, let's give God some praise for that. That man was good newsed. He was good newsed. He also told another story. That he was on a cruise ship, a massive cruise ship, one of these cruise ships, these fancy pants ones that my parents-in-laws go on, and some of you have maybe been on. Right? Titanic, think Titanic, he showed the photo of it. And in Sweden and Norway and all that, basically folk go on to get steaming. They just go to drink alcohol. And he was on it. And he thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we uh, filled this boat with youth and had a youth conference on the boat? He thought, that's pretty impossible, but let's just pray to God. So he prayed. He felt the impression was from God. And he says, he phoned up the owner of the boat, and he just said to the guy, mate, can I hire your boat for a couple of days? <laughs> I'm sure he never said it quite like that, but you get the idea, right? And the guy was like, we've never been asked that before. He's like, well, just give me a price. Just, you know, let's just rough figure, idea of what, what you're talking about. There's only one condition. There can't be any alcohol. It's for you, so no alcohol. And the guy's like, burst out laughing. He's like, pal, listen. It wasn't pal, but in Swedish, you know. We make £240,000 a day on alcohol sales. So not only would you have the cost of hiring the boat fuel, blah, blah, blah. You have £480,000, half a million pounds of lost alcohol sales to cover. He's like, well, just give me a price. Just, you know, what we're talking about. So the guy came back with this absolute ridiculous price that they were never going to afford. But he said, God, you know what? You gave me the impression, so it's up to you. If you want it to happen, you've got to, you've got to move. So as the story goes, the owner um, was a millionaire. He had loads of houses and boats, helicopter, oh, you name it. He had the lot. He had some children who were now teenagers. And he was starting at this time to get convicted that his wealth, his empire, was built on alcohol sales. And his teenagers started to have a go at him and started to say, Dad, when are you going to do some good with your money? You know, we're, we're living, look at all the, the poor ch and, and those. When, when are you going to do, why not give your boat to, they must have heard of the request, why not give your boat to um, that guy that asked you? Do something good with your money for a change. She phones him up and says, listen, we're going to give you it. The whole boat can have it, no alcohol, 95% discount, 95% discount. He packed it out with 2,000 youth. They went on the biggest, best youth conference they ever had. It was on national TV, on newspapers, had coverage. Um, 
and they had, this, had an absolute ball. He says, but nobody told them that they positioned restaurants at the front and back to balance. He says, they do what every youth leader, good youth leader does. They take 2,000 youth and they pack them in the back room. They get a worship band and they all start jumping. And <laughs> he said that the pilot, the pilot, not the pilot, the captain, uh, you know, always had a heart attack and um, just had this image of this, this cruise ship just bouncing through, bouncing through the sea. Um, why did I tell you that? Because our God is big, our God is able, and we need to stretch our imagination. We need to believe God. We need, you know, we'll, one of the things we were challenged to get your eyes out of our small situation. Get our eyes, you know, our God is able, our God is big. You know, what, what is it you need God to do for you? You know, what, what do you need God to do for you? Our God is able. We've got to trust him. We've got to give it to him. And we've got to allow him to do great things. And I thank God for bringing him. And I also thank God for Jossie Chaco, who also was in Manchester at the conference. And Jossie Chaco is a founder and president of Empart, which is a global ministry that exists to ignite holistic community transformation among the needy communities in Asia. And Empart's goal is to see 100,000 communities transformed by 2030. Not very ambitious, you know, only, only, only 100,000. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the reason God took us down there is to dream bigger, to believe more. Do you know, we serve a big God, and he is able. He has a leadership team of more than 7,000 in seven countries, and he uses his communication skills to challenge leaders to capture a larger God-sized vision and do something much more significant. And over the years, Jossie has invested into significant leaders with great results. He started his talk by saying, um, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That was one of our missionaries, William Carey, said that in 1761 to 1834. William Carey. I'll, I'll share just very briefly, um, and then we're going to have a 10-minute break for desserts, and then I've just got a wee video and a few other things to share. But um, he told the story of his, his leaders our average age is 24. The average length of time they've been a Christian is five years. And he basically got up and was like, he's from India, and he's like, guys, what are you doing in the West here? <laughs> he says, you know what you guys are good at? You guys are really good at making that, which is very simple, complicated. <laughs> he's like, you need another strategy, another book. He was almost like saying, you can see your books, just scrap them. He's like, get, you were told our, our, our job is not to study the Great Commission, it's to do it. Stop studying. Get going. What are you playing at? Stop holding back people. 24 years of age, average length of Christian, five years are his leaders. One of his leaders started going to the hospital to pray for, six peop for sick people. He went for six years. And nothing happened. Not one person healed. Nothing. Most of us would give up after six minutes. And so the pastor asked him, why did you not stop? He says, well, Jesus never told me to stop. <laughs> he says, so I just kept going. On the seventh year, this lady gets healed. And, um, and uh, he leads her 
um, to Jesus and, and tells her all about Christianity and helps to get her started. And she goes home to her village. And then she starts contacting them and saying, listen, I'm telling my friends and neighbors what's happened. I've been telling them what you've been telling me, but I don't know what to do now. Um, I need your help. Two years later, he decided to respond to her because she kept, you know, she was like the persistent widow. So he travels to her village, and she says, I'll have a few people waiting for you. He arrives, and there's 22,000 people sitting in the rice fields waiting for him to arrive from this one woman. The village had never had the gospel, had never been reached as an unreached people group. So he phones Jossie up, and he's like, Jossie, get down here, I need your help. There's quite a few people here. By the time Josie arrives, there was 36,000 people waiting in this field. He told, he told a story of another young man. They're on the cruise ship. See, I told you, every good youth leader gets them bouncing in the back room. Good honor. Bless, bless, Ari. That's so good of Becky doing that for us. This young man, his father was a Hindu, and his father said, son, if you don't renounce Jesus Christ, I'm killing myself tomorrow. You're bringing shame on the family. You can't, uh, you can't continue in the way you're going. And this young man phoned his pastor in a panic, saying, my dad is going to kill himself tomorrow. What do I do? And his pastor's like, I can't tell you the answer to that. Uh, you just pray and do whatever you think God tells you. So he prays, he opens his Bible, and he reads the verse that says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before the Father. So he's praying it through. And in the morning, he goes to his father. And he's pleading with him. He's lying on the, the floor with his hands on his ankles saying, Father, I love you. Do not harm yourself. Do not. Don't do anything. I plead with you, Father. I love you. But I love Jesus Christ also. That's all he said. Father took the knife, slit his throat, and he was gone. He had, to, he had the blood all over him, rushing him away. And this man then went on to become one of Jossie's leaders, and he's one of his, his key international leaders. And why did I tell that story? Well, number one, it impacted me, impacted me tremendously. Um, secondly, made us realize that what we, have to, what we have got to be grateful for. We don't fully understand persecution. We don't fully understand the, the difficulty. What I want us to do now is just take, um, I've got a, a, a little video to show. Um, but before we do that, oh, you're right. In fact, if the desserts are getting ready, so we'll, maybe five minutes we'll get the, the desserts. His message was to Manchester. His message was, you take that which is simple and you make it complicated. He said multiplication is achieved not by strategies, but by obedience. The Great Commission is teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And he rightly pointed out that obedience and love go hand in hand. He said, obedience is not a choice. Love is a choice, and um, obedience is the consequence of your love. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, 
obey my commandments. 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. He's like, you just need to teach your people to love Jesus. You know, isn't it right in Revelation he talked about the church whose hearts got cold and lukewarm? As we, as we love, as the love increases in our hearts, then we desire to do the things that Jesus has commanded. But he was saying, don't study the Great Commission. It's pretty simple. Just do it. Just do it, people. Will Graham will be here in Scotland 2018 in June. If you could have the PowerPoint up, please, Robert. Um, there's a group of 40 churches in the Falkirk area that meet together called the Falkirk Evangelical Leaders Forum. The, the leader is a guy called Michael Rollo. He's a reverend um, of what's now called Found Church. It was Larbert Pentecostal Church. They heard of Will Graham and, and, um, and Peter Head. And Michael Rollo, who had recently taken over the forum, decided we need to liven this forum up a wee bit. You know, we need to do more than drink, eat soup and drink tea together and, and complain about the state of things. Let's, let's, let's do something. So they approached Will Graham and asked if he would consider Scotland. Now, when they do that, um, there's a whole process kicks in, including Will Graham always takes two months to pray and ask God if he should come. And he agreed that he felt it was right and he's going to come. And he sent this team to do investigations, etc. So they have booked a stadium, Falkirk Stadium. Um, and that's in June, June 2018. They have been following our church um, and the uh, transition of leadership. And they felt God say to ask me to help with the youth element. And when they got on the phone and asked me, um, I said, well, I need to pray about that. <laughs> I'm not really looking for extra work, thank you. Um, I don't need this for myself. I don't need it for my CV. I don't need it for my self-esteem. I don't need it for a title. Um, but I know, actually, the easy answer is no. Or the easy answer is yes. But actually, it's God, what do you want me to do? So I went for a walk in the Cleesh Hills and just started praying, God, should I get involved or not? It's in Falkirk, blah, blah, blah. And I felt God uh, tell me, yes, I want, I want you involved. I want you to give yourself. If I open a door, I want you to walk through it. You pray for Scotland. You pray for the nation. You pray for God to do something. My ways are not your ways. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean, you know, it's not always about your thing. It doesn't always have to be about your thing. I want you to get involved. And so... Um, I, w I was pretty convinced by that point, 95% that the answer was to be yes. I got back to my office and I had a meeting in 15 minutes and I was like, oh, who, who am I having a meeting with again? I looked at my, my calendar and it said open doors. I had a meeting with the charity open doors and uh, I was like, okay, God, it's, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm convinced you want me to be involved. So they've asked me to get involved to oversee the youth element of it. Um, it's not about an event, it's about a process. And as we consider our 2025 vision, the next seven years as elders and leaders, we've been fasting the month of October and praying and asking God, what's our vision? What's the picture of the better future that you desire for us? Where are we going? What, where are we heading? What's our priorities? Where are we going? We, do, we are convinced of one thing. What we're convinced about is that Jesus has called us to take the good news and to saturate our town and our, and our geography and our locality. That is one thing that he's called us to do. It's a priority. It's our watch. It's our day. It's our time. That The city is our responsibility. And we need to good news the city. 
of Dunfermline and, and Broad. So that's one thing we're certain about. This complements that because it's all about a process. So it's all about actually um, thinking about uh, forming relationships. Who are we? Um, on your, there should be a sheet called the BLESS strategy, right? Um, and I'll, I'll leave that, that sh I'll leave, there should be something called blessing or blessed strategy. That's to take away. Um, it's all about blessing our community and blessing our town. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story, okay? Um, and what I would say is the, the Will Graham fits in great with that. So I'll, you're going to be hearing more about this in the coming weeks and months. The next thing is I'll just ask you for this date in your diary. Tuesday the 16th of January, 7 p.m. Will Graham is coming. There's only 500 to 600 seats. They will fill up. Um, that's the website where you RSVP to uh, book your seat. I would ask you to come along. Whether you're convinced or not, whether you're interested or not, I'd ask you to come along, have an open mind, have an open heart. Because the guys have got many, many years of uh, a legacy and experience of the gospel. As we talked about tonight, it's more than just sharing and preaching. But preaching and speaking and communicating is an essential part. It's not just about that. But w for some of us, um, uh, a friend that we've been, you know, sometimes we struggle to actually share or do the proclamation part. And for some, it might be that you have got someone that you could take along to this in June or get involved. We need many counselors to, to meet the people. We want you to be part of that. We need many people to be praying. We need many volunteers and helpers. And because it's not in our city, you know, if we sow, we will reap. You know, if we did it in our city, we would, we would hope and desire, like in Frenzy or, or other things we've done, you'd hope and desire that other people would be for your thing. You see, not many people are for other people's thing. They're for their thing. But when we sow, we shall reap. It's not in our city. It might be hard to get people from Dunfermline, but it doesn't mean that it can stop us trying. We are, uh, want to fill a bus of youth and take a whole bus of youth over. That's our goal. Uh, Becky and Aaron and Zara and uh, an American girl and found church. I've started this week populating a database of up to two to 300 churches. They've started contacting them. They're on the phone. They're informing them about this event. They're getting the youth leaders' details, the kids' workers' details. So I'll leave that with you. There's a website, celebrationofhope.uk. There's much more I could say on that, but there are lovely, tasty desserts um, that are waiting. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Um, do take the blessing strategy away with you. Have a read of it. Think about it. Even think about starting it in your life group, in your life groups. Start thinking about the relationships that we have with the people in the town, about with the lost, with the hurting. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for the privilege and joy it is to serve you. Lord, we think of 93% of the Scottish population that do not know you, that never ever attend a church, Lord. 93,000, Lord, is probably, 93% uh, is probably well over 46,000 plus people in this town that would never enter a church door. And Lord, you've called us uh, to reach and to take the good news and to be a blessing. Lord, we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so Father, we pray as a church that you would lead us and guide us, you would anoint us, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord that is upon Jesus Christ is upon us, your church, to be good news to the hurting. 
Lord, would you cause us to follow in your steps and to see our city through your eyes? Would you cause us to dream bigger than ever before? Lord, when we see a cruise ship, we would not see impossibility. We would see possibility through you. And we ask you to enlarge our faith and our passion for your mission and your vision. In Jesus' name, amen.